I want to call your attention now to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We read this passage a few moments ago, and we want to look in particular at verse 24. Mark 9, 24. It says, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. May God bless the reading of his word, every word that we read. At the first reading of the words of this father in this story, they may seem an enigma, puzzling words. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. But these words are profoundly insightful. They are words that came from an honest heart that spoke from deep experience. And these are words that are full of instruction for us. Though we have read the setting here, let me just remind you of it briefly. This incident in the life of our Lord occurred immediately upon his descent from the Mount of Transfiguration. A glorious experience on top of that mountain for Jesus and for Peter and James and John who were with him. But they cannot stay there forever. They must come down from that glorious mountain. And they come down to the horrible realities of a cursed, sinful, fallen earth. They descend to the realities of fallen mankind. And the first thing that they see here is a young man who is demon-possessed. A father who is bewildered and disappointed, grieved because there's no help for his son. And on the other hand, there are scribes who were opposed to Christ who are all uh, eager to cast any doubt that they can upon Jesus And his power. In a word, Jesus comes down from that mount of transfiguration and is confronted with what he himself calls a faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation, he says in verse 19. And so Jesus says, To the father, tell me the details. How long has it been since this child has been possessed with this 
devil, and he says all of his life, it's ever since he was a child, he tells him some of the characteristics. Sometimes it throws him in the fire and then into the waters. He, he doesn't burn to death. The fire is put out, but then he almost drowns. And this, this demon has this very destructive quality in the, the, the life of this young man. We don't know his age, but he's called a child. But then at the end of verse 22, we see these, in a way, sad and and surprising words. He says to Jesus, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. To our ears, it's unthinkable to say to Jesus, if you can do anything. Because we know that as the Son of God, He can do anything. Here is the if of uncertainty. The if of of doubt and confusion. Yes, the if of unbelief. We should note, however, that His rather low opinion of Christ here was undoubtedly influenced by the disciples, the remaining disciples, the ones who had not gone up to the Mount of Transfiguration, who were at the foot of that mountain, who were unable to help, unable to do anything. And though the Lord gave the disciples power to cast out devils, in this case, they couldn't. And so that leads this poor man to come to Christ and say, maybe you can't do anything either. But if there's anything you can do, if you can help us, have mercy on us and help us. Upon hearing that, Jesus said to him in verse 23, if thou canst believe... All things are possible to him that believeth. Jesus is correcting the the error in this man's thinking. He says to him in so many words, it's not a question of my ability. Not a question of my power. Not a question of my authority over the demons. Rather, it is a question of whether you believe in me. It's a question of your faith or your unbelief. The man, for a moment, turns his attention from his son and the the need concerning his son and the, the request that he had made for help for his son And he looks within his own soul and with deep emotion and deep conviction, he addresses his own need and he asks for help for himself. He had said, help us, verse 22. Now, verse 24, he says, help me. (laughs) 
Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. His own personal need was now at the forefront. And in these words, we note three things. First of all, a confession of faith. Lord, I believe. He confesses that he does have faith in Jesus. He does believe that he is the Messiah, the promised Savior, the Son of God. He does profess that he believes that Christ can do anything. He knows that at least in some sense, at some level, Lord, I believe. Secondly, there is a confession of unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. He confesses that his faith is not all that it should be. And that there is some measure of unbelief still in him. He's convicted that he even said, if you can do anything. He knows that that is unbelief on his own part. Thirdly, there is in the, word, in the words of this man a plea for help from Christ to turn from unbelief to belief and that his unbelief might be removed and faith strengthened instead. Well, the story ends happily. The Lord, upon this man's profession of faith and indication of faith in spite of hindering unbelief, grants his desire, delivers the boy from this demon that dwelt in him. It's a dramatic deliverance. For a while, everyone thought he was dead. But Jesus took him and lifted him up. And they walk away. They come into the house. And these uh, nine disciples come to Jesus and they kind of pull him off to the side and they say, we were supposed to be able to cast out this demon. Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus' answer is, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. There's a lesson here for the disciples, among others. And there's a lesson for all of us here today. We want to look especially then at verse 24, the words of this man. Let me just say a few things about faith here in a general way before we look at the particulars here. Faith is a gift from God. Faith is not of human origin. We don't work it up. We don't whip it up. It is given to us. It is a bestowing that God gives to us. The man understood this. 
His words indicate that he understood this. He says, help my unbelief. If he thought that faith was just something that he generated by himself, he wouldn't come to Christ asking to be delivered from unbelief. This man understood more than many people in churches today, didn't he? He understood that faith is the operation of God, as Colossians 2 tells us. He understood that Jesus is the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith, as Hebrews 12 tells us. He understood that this precious faith was obtained from God. And those are the terms used in 2 Peter chapter 1. We obtain this precious faith. And from whom do we obtain it? We obtain it from God. I emphasize this point because there's so much confusion today, misunderstanding and false teaching about faith. Not everyone would would state it this articulately, but their concept is that faith is my gift to God. Something that I present to Him. Whereas the truth is the opposite. Faith is His gift to me. Some have thought to be clever and say, faith is our compliment to God. It's a compliment that we pay Him. Faith is tipping our hat to Him. Faith is God in mercy reaching down to us. As I've said before, some people's idea of faith is that you convince yourself and you convince yourself then that you are convinced and it's, it, it goes on and on. You convince yourself that you're convinced and you're convinced that you're convinced. Convinced of what? That doesn't seem to enter the picture. Just convinced. The object of faith is what we must be clear on in our minds. That faith is not only a gift from God, but that God is the object of faith. He is what faith rests upon. Our local prophet, so-called, wrote a booklet years ago called Having Faith in Your Faith. That is so far from Scripture, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. No, we don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in God, in His promises, in His Word, in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the object of faith. And let me just say this parenthetically. There is such a thing as false faith. There's the faith that demons have, which is not saving faith. But they know that there is a God. There is what's called temporary faith. There's those who believe for a while. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. 
there is what is called the faith of God's elect, which is obviously distinguished from lesser faith, a faith that an unbeliever may have. And, and so just to, to state it in kind of, a, of an ironic way, on the one hand, there is false faith that lost people may have. We could call them believing unbelievers. And there is doubt and fear that a true believer may have, like this man in the story. And we might call such ones unbelieving believers. So think of that contrast Believing unbelievers and unbelieving believers. We, we see the whole range of possibilities. But let's move on here and consider what we should learn from this text. <clears throat> There's much to apply here. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. In one sense... There are no degrees of faith. It's all or none. It's either you believe or you don't believe. And we see that underscored with the first part of the man's statement. Lord, I believe. You are the object of my trust. I do depend upon you. I have no one else to turn to. I believe in you. And so, it is with you and me, either we believe in God or we don't. Even a trace amount of faith, if it is real faith, is to the saving of the soul. Jesus talks about faith the size of a mustard seed. One old writer puts it this way, weak faith is true faith. As precious, though not as great, as strong faith. But it is not the strength of our faith that saves, but the truth of our faith. Not the weakness of our faith that condemns, but the want of faith. Again, in this sense, faith is an all or none Proposition: Either you believe on Christ or you don't. There's no in-between. I love the words of C.H. Spurgeon when he said, A little faith will take your soul to heaven. Great faith, he said, will bring heaven to your soul. The promise that Jesus gave us is Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And he doesn't qualify that faith. He doesn't say it has to be great faith and strong faith. It's faith. It's all or none. And we see this repeatedly in Scripture. Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Acts 10.43, and all that believe are justified from all things, Acts 13.39. 
And so let me just pause here and say to those who don't believe and who are in unbelief and who do not know the Lord today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Look to Him. Trust in Him. Don't look to your looking. Look to Him. Look to Him. But we follow up with these thoughts in another sense. Faith does admit of degrees. The man says, help thou mine unbelief. Even though essentially he is a believer, he is conscious that his faith is not all that it should be. He says, my faith is not as pure as it ought to be. It's not as solid as it ought to be. It's not as strong as I wish it were. Help me, he says. Help my faith. In this way of looking at things, Scripture speaks of little faith. It's what Jesus said when said to Peter when Peter, after walking on the water for a few steps, begins to sink. Jesus says, oh, little faith. Scripture speaks of a growing faith, 2 Thessalonians 1.3. That is, our confidence in Christ can become stronger as our knowledge of Him grows deeper and as our view of Him in our soul grows sharper and clearer. Faith is growing. Again, we read in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham was strong in faith. And so, though on the one hand, faith admits of no degrees, on the other hand, faith admits of degrees. Depends on the sense in which we speak. And we see both of them brought together here. Both perspectives brought together in this man's Words to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Furthermore, we learn from this text that faith and every other experiential grace in a child of God is imperfect in this life. I think it is safe to say that our Hope is never all that it should be. Our love is never all that it should be. Our faith is never all that it should be. In all of us who are believers, there is to some degree belief and unbelief, trust and doubt, hope and fear, Existing side by side. As long as we are on this earth, our faith is often weak and defective in its exercise, but it is still true faith. In this way, the words of our text apply to every Christian. 
We must therefore have a realistic view of Christian experience. We should expect our faith to be under assault. We should expect conflict and opposition from the world and our own flesh and the devil himself. We should expect to battle with temptation to unbelief, battle with doubts. We should expect our faith to be tried, tested, put to the test by God. That is the reality of living the Christian life. And closely related to that is this observation. Faith is not static and motionless. It is moving. It is always in motion. Faith is a living reality. And whatever lives, moves, and is subject to variation and fluctuation. Faith because it's living, will either be growing or shrinking. Again, so much wrong thinking and wrong definition about faith. Today, so many people think of faith as one event at one moment, probably a long time ago, when maybe when you were a child and were led through a profession of faith or something, Beloved, faith is a living reality all through our Christian life. It is an ongoing living principle of dependence upon Christ. And so it is always in motion. Only artificial things are motionless. Only artificial things never change and have no fluctuation. But I hasten on here, and and if you're numbering these, this is number five. Unbelief in a true Christian is distinct from unbelief in a lost person. There's all the difference in the world. When a lost person is in unbelief, Unbelief rules over him. Unbelief governs him. But in a saved soul, unbelief has been dethroned. It no longer rules and governs, though it continues to fight. But it fights not from a position of strength, but from a position of weakness. And though it wants to regain Ground, unbelief wants to recapture ground that it has lost in your soul. God will not give up the ground that he has gained. And that's the the preservation of the saints, thank the Lord. He will not allow sin to have dominion over you, Romans 6 tells us. In a sinner, unbelief is a way of life. And the lost person enjoys a peaceful existence with sin and unbelief. 
But in a child of God, unbelief is a grief and a burden against which we war and fight. A lost soul rests in his unbelief. The saved soul struggles against his unbelief. He's not at rest with the unbelief that remains in him. To quote another old author, uh, Flavel, similar to uh, John Rogers that I quoted a moment ago, he says this, It is not this or that degree of unbelief that damns a man, but the power and dominion of it that damns him. Indeed, your comfort depends much upon the strength of your faith, but your salvation depends upon the truth of it. In other words, it's better to have strong faith than weak faith, but on the other hand, you must have faith, regardless of of the quality of it. It must be true faith, even if it's just one little grain of it. Number six, every believer should acknowledge his faith and confess it like this man does. Lord, I believe every one of us who believe should thank God for it and publicly confess it. If you believe in God, let it be known. Don't hide it. Don't deny it. But say, Lord, I believe. Let others know that you believe. You know, most people try to hide their sins. But a few people try to hide their graces and hide their faith. Faith is not to be hidden. If you believe in Christ to the saving of your soul, recognize it and joyfully confess it. And closely related is is this further thought. Every believer should recognize his unbelief. We should not be too proud to say, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. We should not deny the reality of indwelling sin. He who boasts of his faith, but never sorrows over his lack of faith, is most likely deceived. If you think you've reached a point where you're above what this man said, and you say, I have no unbelief, I have no danger, you're the one I'm especially worried about today. Grief over unbelief may be a sign of true faith. Grief over unbelief may be a sign of true faith. Of course, we should not foster unbelief and feed unbelief. Unbelief left unchecked. Unbelief left to grow and to come to dominate is the road to apostasy. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an heart, an evil heart of unbelief 
in departing from the living God. And so we must fight against unbelief and mortify unbelief. Engage in mortal spiritual combat against it. And I'll say a little more about that before we finish. But let me mention here under this point some symptoms of remaining unbelief in a believer. And I I think I'm indebted some to Mr. Flavel, and I can't remember who else for for this list. Symptoms of remaining unbelief. Temptation finds an easy target in you. Temptation finds a foothold easily. It finds help from within. And sin encounters little resistance. Sin doesn't have to put up much of a fight. That's an indication of unbelief. Flavel says, might faith but be heard to speak, it would say in thy heart, let me rather die ten deaths than commit one sin. It is nothing but our unbelief that makes us so ready to put forth our hands to iniquity. And so one sign of remaining unbelief is easily tempted and easily giving in to sin. Another symptom is trusting our use of means rather than trusting in God. And this gets back to what we were talking about in the previous hour. Our faith must be in God himself, not in anything else. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Confidence in anything less than God is, in fact, a form of unbelief. And while we are to use means, we use them in a spirit of total dependence upon God alone. Another symptom of remaining unbelief is a lack of delight in prayer and a lack of delight in other Christian duties. But we mention prayer especially. Prayer and faith are so closely related. They have a reciprocal influence one upon another. The more we believe, the more we pray. The more we pray, the more we believe. And surely the remedy for secret thoughts of atheism is to pray. You cannot doubt the existence of one to whom you speak regularly. another symptom of remaining unbelief is complaining. Complaining. Oh, it's too hot today. It's too cold today. It's too windy today. Well, who controls the heat and the cool and the wind? In whose fists is it gathered up? 
Discontentment with providence is discontentment with God. Because he's the God of providence. And complaining and discontentment reveal an inflated view of self and self-importance, pride of knowledge. I know better than God what should happen or what the weather should be today and so on. God shouldn't have let this happen. Really? Do you know better than he? It is a symptom of unbelief to think that you know better than God about anything. Also, we could add to that list impatience. What is that but not believing that God's timing is best? Worry, anxious care, worrying about the future. Our Lord taught us to trust in him and not to have little faith when it comes to the future. We don't have time to even look at the scriptures on these things, but fear of death. The disciples were, were afraid that they were going to, to drown in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and the Lord calms the storm and says, Oh, ye of little faith. And in one account, he says, Where is your faith? A believer is, is not afraid to die. We're ready to go whenever God calls us. And the last symptom I would mention here is despair and pessimism with regard to God's cause. That's simply a lack of faith. It's unbelief that leads to inactivity and paralysis as far as serving the Lord is concerned. Let us understand that God is on the throne his cause will prevail in the end he has promised it he has determined it it cannot be otherwise we should never doubt God never question his wisdom or his goodness or his power better to question your faith than to question him. Better to question your faith than to question the object of your faith. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Number eight, let us adore the long-suffering of God in putting up with us and all of our relative unbelief. I say relative unbelief because in a child of God who is a believer, faith is absolute. Unbelief is only relative. But let us admire and be thankful to God for his patience with us. Oh, how much he puts up with us. He is the most patient father. And we are so 
slow to learn and so quick to forget and so easily we fall into doubt how easily we take a step backward instead of forward how stubborn we are to progress sometimes And let us humble ourselves then before such a gracious and patient Heavenly Father who doesn't forsake us. He is worthy of all of our confidence and He is unworthy of any doubt whatsoever. And then finally, From this passage, we learn to desire more and greater faith. If you have faith in the absolute sense, in the all or none sense, then with me, let us desire for that faith to grow and to increase and to be strengthened. Let us not wallow in our self-pity And in meaningless self-condemnation. The kind that calls attention to ourselves. And calls attention away from him. Who is the object of our faith. Let us desire more and greater faith. And in terms of, of what we looked at in the previous hour. About God's providence and God being the first cause. And these means that he uses being second causes. Let us then recognize God as the first cause of our faith. Let us recognize our dependence upon him for our faith. And our very depending upon him is the essence of faith. Only he can keep faith alive in us. Only he can give it to us in the first place. And only he can keep it alive in an ongoing way. We are utterly dependent upon him. But having said that, let's talk for a moment here as we close about second causes. What are the means God uses to keep faith alive in in a believer? Prayer, we mentioned that just now. Pray to God to root out your unbelief that remains and the doubt and the fear that remains. Make the prayer of this man in our text your prayer. Lord, I believe. Would you please help my unbelief? Pray for forgiveness. For this sin of unbelief in whatever measure it exists in you. And pray for his continuous help. The request here by the man in this story is a present imperative. Lord, keep helping my unbelief, we might say. Help me now and from now on. And let us be faithful then in the use of means 
such as prayer and other means that God has provided and appointed. His word. We need a steady diet of Holy Scripture. This is food for the soul. Don't starve your soul. God has appointed public worship as a means to strengthen our faith. So he says, don't forsake assembling together. He has ordained the use of ordinances. Baptism at the beginning of the Christian life and the Lord's Supper repeatedly throughout the Christian life in church fellowship. It's part of the means by which our faith is strengthened. Christian fellowship, conversation, praying for one another. These are all part of the means that are the second causes. This is how. These are the tools God uses to keep faith alive and growing and healthy in us. And so let us be faithful in what he's given us to do. If I could summarize that last point in emphasis, I would say it in the words of Scripture. Keep the faith. Keep it. We have a, a responsibility and a duty to keep believing. And though we depend upon God for it, providentially He will use our effort to keep the faith. Paul says, I've kept the faith. And again, in the words of Holy Scripture, and I'll close with this, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Can you honestly say with this man in our text, Lord, I believe. If you can honestly say that, thank God you are his child. You are saved by Jesus Christ and he is with you in this life and he will take you to his heaven after this life is over. Lord, I believe. Can you also honestly say, help thou mine unbelief. Let us humble ourselves and not fool ourselves, but confess not only our faith, but confess remnants of unbelief that must be opposed and rooted out in our Christian walk. That's what it is to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. May the Lord help us and may he Apply to our hearts what we have seen here today.